Hey everybody, and welcome back to Love Update. We're so glad to have you back with us on the show. It's been really great, as we've always said, to have such a consistent flow of listeners. We hope you guys like this episode. Uh, today, Shayna and I are gonna be mixing up the order a little bit. Normally, we chat a little bit, we talk, we warm up, but instead today, we're gonna dive right into one of the questions from the New York Times 36 questions to fall in love. Uh, today's question is, drumroll please. What is the thing you value most in a friendship? Ooh, this is a tough question, but I sort of like it. <laughs> um, I would say what I value most, especially at college, is kind of the feeling of someone really knowing you because it's so easy to take it for granted in high school that like all your friends come over to your house and they know your siblings and they know your parents and they know the teachers that you have at school because they're there too. And then when you come to college, it was a really big change for me, like having to sort of explain everything before you tell a story or before you kind of talk about something from your past. And so having friends at college who really, really know like my parents, my siblings' names, my friends' names, my hometown, and then I can just tell them stories that without any context, that's really important to me. See, what some of our listeners probably don't know is that Shayna and I are actually real-life best friends. Ah! So it makes sense that, in fact, we have the same most important thing in a friendship. Because I also really think that that feeling of being like seen for who you are and known with all of the information and context that informs that um, is the thing that makes friendships the strongest for me. Um, just having someone know all of who I am and letting me present myself with all of who I am and not being looked at um, like a stranger and feeling like the things that I do and the things that I'm interested in, people don't see them as random blips on the screen, but a part of a larger picture. Um, that feels really important to me. And I feel like Shayna does that in a huge way. Like there, there's, it's come to the point where we'll be telling a story to the other person and the other one will be interjecting with the context about like why that's important or why that's funny um, to the point where I don't think I've said a full sentence to you in a really long time. Um, but okay, since we both have the same one, that's kind of a cop out which probably do like the second biggest thing that you value in a friendship okay I think my second biggest thing is commitment because I've always been someone who has kind of two or three really really close friends I had that in high school I definitely have that at Yale um and having people who you spend like hours per day with versus like 20 people that you see for an hour a week each is like really really important to me and I feel so lucky that I've been able to find that here with you Aww. Uh, so I think mine would probably be honesty um, sometimes I just feel like I'm going crazy and the people that love me the most are the ones who can look me in the face and say, August, like what? I get it. I get why you feel this way. I get why this, the world looks like this to you right now, but I'm telling you because I love you. That's simply not the case. That um, you really are going crazy. That I really, I really am going crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, so this episode, um, is actually very much related to friendship. Um, in fact, it focuses on what friendship is like in the aftermath of a tragedy. We want to let our listeners know, just in case any of these topics might be triggering, that this week's episode deals with suicide. Lucas Cox will be reading a reflection about a resurgence of love and friendship in the aftermath of suicide. Here is Lucas.
After the call, I remember looking in the mirror, not recognizing myself. My eyes, wide, searched for something familiar, but my brain, paralyzed, could not compute. It was as if my skull had shrunk, squeezing my brain, until poof, no more recognition. Suddenly dizzy, I lay on the floor, and the room swirled around me, uncontrollable. It's in this moment, if I'm being dramatic, that I think I switched life paths. On December 3rd, 2017, I got a call from my friend Mary. I was sitting in my friend's dorm room, complaining about the paper I had to write for an upcoming final. Getting a call from Mary was weird and unexpected because this was my first semester of college, and frankly, I had not called anyone other than my mom. And except for the occasional, how are you doing, text, with the usual response of, good, you? Communication between me and my high school friends was basically and sadly non-existent. Are you in a good place to talk? Mary asked, her voice heavy. I, confused, exited my friend's dorm room with a jovial wave and went to my own. Of course, what's up? I have some bad news from UNC, she paused, and I, from North Carolina and having quite a few friends attending the university, stopped in my tracks. Sophia, I'm sorry I have to say this, but Matthew passed away yesterday. Everything stopped. In my head, a scene played. Matthew heading back to his dorm room after class. Matthew wearing his iconic flip-flops and jeans crossing the street. Matthew not looking both ways, not watching, not seeing the bus hurtling towards him. Matthew being hit by a UNC bus. Matthew, however, was not killed by a bus. Matthew killed himself. The day before, December 2nd, 2017, Matthew, 18 years old and in his first semester of college, took his own life. And with that, I felt like I had been hit by a bus. This was unexpected. Matthew came to my school in the sixth grade. Throughout middle school, there being an expansive divide between genders, I didn't really talk to him. However, both having last names that started with D, we often stood in line next to each other during school events or ran into one another as we grabbed books from our lockers. It wasn't until high school that we became friends. Matthew, seemingly calm and strong, was an easy friend to have. He was someone you could easily banter with, someone you could sit by peacefully as you did your homework during musical practice, and someone that was there to listen. He was an amazing singer. I'd always close my eyes in choir concerts and listen for his voice, and also very smart while still willing to help anyone out when a class was giving them trouble. Simply, Matthew was really good at being a good friend. Even now, when I remember him, there's an air of calm. I picture him walking, his tall frame striding and surrounded by this peaceful strength. In my mind, he turns back and waves, his soft smile lifting his face. Evidently, this was not the case. Evidently, he wasn't calm inside. He was everything but. Evidently, life for him was too much or too little. Evidently, I found myself thinking, I didn't know him at all. I've grappled with the immense guilt that I could have done something, that I never did enough. But also, I've grappled with the shock, the horror, the pain, the anger, and the 
why the fuck do I not feel anything right now? I've written these feelings down, crumpled them up, and soiled pillowcases with this mixed bag of tears. This version of the story, however, is not about me and my feelings. A year later, I still can't pinpoint what I'm feeling, let alone put it into coherent sentences. No, this is about the people that are still here. After news of his passing had reached each high school friend, our affectionately named group chat blew up. There we were, 33 of us, each alone in our now miserable dorm rooms, in some cases oceans apart, feeling not too far from each other. There was Alex, carefully breaching the silence, expressing her pain, her surprise, and also her continued love for him and for us. There was Ryan, who blatantly mentioned the guilt he and all of us felt, but also reminded us of the support we had in each other. There was Shannon, inspiring each of us to do something meditative and starting a group patchmaking project to keep our hands grounded even if our minds were not. And there was each of us, pouring out the good memories and sharing funny videos or cute pictures of Matthew. I'd look at these pictures searching for his pain, but I often couldn't and still can't find it. In one video, Matthew sucks in helium and sings, his uniquely low voice for a second mimicking a chipmunk. I sobbed as I watched this, but I also laughed. He looked happy, and I like remembering him like that. And as months went by, the 33 of us were still there for each other. We wouldn't always talk about Matthew, the internet does supply plenty of memes to share, but often it would come back to him. Whether someone had lit a candle for him in a chapel, or had spotted a whale shark, his spirit animal, in an aquarium. And when summer rolled around, we all still hung out. Something I'd worried wouldn't happen after a year of being apart. In May, we celebrated his birthday at Olive Garden, one of his favorites. Yes, the encounter with the waiter was awkward when he asked us what the occasion was, but we laughed it off, and afterwards we got strawberry milkshakes at McDonald's. In June, a group of us went to Bonnaroo with his family. The year before, Matthew had absolutely loved it, asking his parents to buy tickets for the upcoming year right after getting back. I liked being in a place where he'd felt a kind of bliss, a place he could see himself coming back to. I also just liked hanging out with my friends and his brothers and listening to musicians I'd honestly never heard of. In July and August, we planned a memorial for him at our high school creating a quiet place of reflection and remembrance out of this still painful event. I often think about Matthew and his death, and I feel like I'm drowning. Suicide is odd. A death by accident or disease is still incredibly painful, but a death by choice leaves you wondering where the love stopped. When did Matthew stop loving the world? And when did he feel that the world stopped loving him? When did he stop loving himself? Or did he just never start? And for those left behind, it can seem like suicide is everywhere. It becomes so easy to curl up and to only think about the ifs, to see the world in this jarring, loveless light. However, from December 3rd to right now, my friends have instilled in me a new love, a love filled with strength. And it's the biggest feeling I've ever felt. Yes, grief is sometimes the more powerful of the two, 
but I always come back to love. Like always, I feel this with my family in an everyday sort of way, and I feel it with my new friends at college who swoop in to support me. And now, I feel this stronger, new love with my friends from high school. I don't know if I realized how much I loved them when we saw each other every day, but after, or because of, or in spite of Matthew's passing, this new love is something I feel in my whole body. Before Matthew's death, I thought everything happened for a reason. That there was some end goal the world was hurtling towards, hopefully for the better. I don't think that anymore. Matthew's passing and the manner of it was not for some greater purpose. However, what my friends and I made out of losing a great friend has served a bigger purpose, at least for me. The fact that we chose to stick together the fact that we let ourselves be 19 and still be stupid, and the fact that we continue to choose love amidst grief is beautiful. For me, on a Sunday in December, in an instant, the world became painful, finite, and temporal. But at the same time, due to these friendships, it also became so big and so wide. You see, Matthew was a really great friend, and I miss him dearly, but he also had some great friends too, and lucky for me, they're still here. Lucas, thank you so much for being here and for reading that story so beautifully. We're so happy to have you on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, my name's Lucas. I'm a senior in Berkeley. I make movies and take pictures and make music. So we're going to go ahead and dive in and talk about the story a little bit. Can you give us some of your first reactions and thoughts? Yeah. Um, when I first read this, I was... I was struck by how it was talking about a kind of love that we don't hear about all the time. It was, it's not a romantic love, and it's and it's a complicated love that has a lot more to do with friendship than it has to do with romance, um, and and of finding a new friendship after a tragedy. And I thought that was a really, really beautiful way of expressing what is obviously a real kind of love. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that I don't know the way she's able to define the feeling that comes after such a dramatic and terrible tragedy as love is something that's a bit counterintuitive at first. It seems that maybe it would be support or care, but the fact that she's able to pinpoint it as love and she knows that that's what it is, and it's a kind of love she's never ever felt before, was really, really inspiring. You have a friendship that is going on and you think it's going on normally, um, and then something interrupts it and you're sort of left to reckon with the question of what do I do with this love? What kind of love is this now? Um, and I think she begins to answer that question really beautifully, um, sort of saying that the love she felt for him um, and the love that defined her relationship with him and her relationship with her friend group at large um, just persists and remains in a really powerful way. 
Another part of the story that I found really, really important and interesting was near the end when she talked about her kind of change in mindset about if things happen for a reason. And she kind of comes to this conclusion that no, they don't because she doesn't believe that this happened for any reason or any purpose. But the purpose or love that they made out of it is enough to justify that change in mindset. Yeah, just the idea that something beautiful can come out of something bad and that those two things don't have to be intention. That this can you can recognize that this is a tragic thing that happened and you can also recognize the beautiful things that come out of it and those two things can sit side by side. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she does a great job establishing that it's because of the experience that they're able to have this love, but that doesn't gratify or romanticize the experience in the way that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really valuable lesson to take away to consider the kind of love that friendship provides in all circumstances. Which leads me to my next question for you, Lucas, which is, who is someone you want to send some love to today? Yeah, I would love to send some love to my dear friend John Rosenbluth, who uh, is premiering a reading of his brilliant new play, Sugarland. It's April 30th, 7.30 p.m., the ballroom of 220 York. Everyone should come. Awesome. John, we are sending you so, so, so much love as you work on your play. Thank you so much for being here, Lucas. I've had a great time reading with you guys. Thanks so much. I'm Shayna. I'm August. I'm Lucas. As we near the end of our first season of Love Update, we just want to take this time to express our gratitude to the YDN for all the support that they've given us in this first season. Love Update is proudly a Yale Daily News podcast. We want to give a special shout out to Britt O'Daly for all of his support. Love Update is grateful for the theme music provided by Lee Rosevere at Happy Puppy Records. We're also thankful for the tech support provided by the Yale Daily News. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and email us with any questions, comments, or submissions at loveupdateyale at gmail.com.